uh, the unique kind of support that therapists offer their clients. But let's start with a grounding uh, meditation. So just feel your feet on the ground and just imagine that the contact that you feel with your feet on the ground is extending roots to really make contact with the floor. And just take a deep, deep breath in. And as you breathe, let yourself feel the connection deepen between your feet and the ground. Let your attention focus primarily on the sensation of your feet. And you can wiggle your toes and just feel the pressure of touch between your feet and the ground. Slowly bring your attention up towards your knees and up through your thighs and stop in the area of your stomach. And just let your attention rest here. Breathe and expand and feel whatever may be going on in your stomach. there's any tension or sensations and just thanking your stomach for whatever sensations you've become aware of and we're going to move to a final area which is in the area of your heart and your lungs. And continuing to breathe and to expand your attention and awareness into this area of your body. Being aware that physical sensations and psychological sensations overlap and see how you're thinking about whatever it is that you're feeling just notice the thoughts as they emerge spontaneously and once you've noted them taking a breath in and letting yourself move to the next moment. And just bringing your attention to the space of your face and of your head. And if you're sitting or if you're standing, just taking a moment of pause to align 
your feet, with your stomach, with your heart, and your head. And with your breath to expand yourself into a good and healthy posture, allowing yourself to sit and to be in a position of dignity and of worthiness. Just letting yourself be here for a moment. Perhaps appreciating yourself for taking a bit of time out of your day to feel, to notice, to connect. And when you're ready, we'll transition back to the space that you're in, opening your eyes and reconnecting to whatever's around you and stretching and feeling maybe your lap or the furniture you're sitting on and looking around the room to get reoriented to the space you're in. Um, I think this is going to be the, the third of our series of conversations on what support is. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, we've been brainstorming and I think focusing on the role of the therapist mm -hmm. and maybe relating it back to some of the things that we've talked about, whether it has to do with marriage or family or friendships, yes. um, that might, at least for, for this series of conversations, bring it uh, full circle and then we'll mm -hmm. see where we go from there. But I wanted to ask you in... In your experience, um, as a therapist, when you're going to be holding the space, when you're going to be listening, when you're going to be um, that support person to someone else that you're working with, how do you prepare yourself uh, for that contact, for that connection? Uh, what are some things that you do that you think about uh, to bring yourself to that place? Um, well... I look at what the theme is that we're working on, okay. but other than that, I don't do something in that moment. I mean, um, what I I've thought a lot about this that what I do is is feed my soul outside of being a therapist, but I also believe that being a therapist feeds my soul, mm -hmm. and that there was a time when. Um, you know, before I did all of my own work, um, that I felt like I had to hold up people. Yeah. And so I was exhausted all the time. Yeah. Combined with, you know, having a family and all that stuff. But the, the main thing was that emotional difference. And when I really did my own work and really, really understood that each person has their own capacity for healing, and I knew how to facilitate that, then there was a lightness. So I could, you know, I didn't come out of sessions feeling heavy. I would feel mm. light, you know. So yeah. part of it was just, just understanding the therapeutic process. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like uh, a deep belief that you underwent and internalized, which is the person I'm working with has their own resources mm -hmm. that, um, I'm going to point them towards mm -hmm. and we're going to engage in a process where those things will start to emerge more and more right. and right. that will be the the strengths or the resources that they can use yes. uh, to be able to transform their experience or cope with it in a different way and I think um, remembering that you know oftentimes 
the way I think about it is is related to a lot of the different sculpts that I saw Virginia do, which is, you know, she'd have two people like standing in front of each other and then maybe one would be facing this way and the other person would be behind them. And then so mm-hmm. then maybe one person would be, you know, draped on the shoulders of the other yes. person yes. to signify, uh, well, what looks like support. Right, right. And I remember I, um, I was in Spain with, with a friend and we saw this huge tree. It was a beautiful tree and it was being supported. It was like leaned over like this and it was mm-hmm. being supported by like a metal rod like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so Virginia would do sculpts that look something like that. Where yes, one person yes. was supporting whether that yes. was the kid and the parent or between mm-hmm. the couple where mm-hmm. one is holding up. And I think it's what, what makes me think about what you're talking about. Yes. And I turned to my friend and I said, hey, like, what do you think of that tree and, and the kind of support it's getting? And my friend said, oh, that looks like love. And I said, oh, I don't think wow. so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I said, you know, it, it looks it looks like. Um, it looks unhealthy, right, to me. And when I think about mm-hmm. human relationships, yeah. you know, the tree, the tree needs what it needs, and it's a beautiful tree. But in human relationships, one of the things that Virginia would do is she would say, okay, if that person, for example, if the kid needs to go off to college mm-hmm. and the parents leaned over like that, then what happens? That parent ends up on the ground, and that could be something like depression. Yes. Or that could be... Um, you know, leaning on the other kids mm-hmm. in the same way. So it continues the pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think in, in the role of therapist, um, there needs to be a very clear, um, I think, management of one's own energy so that mm-hmm. the therapist doesn't fall into that. Because as much as the client could be leaning on the therapist, the therapist in an unhealthy kind of situation could be leaning on the people they're working with in the way that you described uh-huh. having too much of their soul fed your soul can be fed but having too much of a reliance on that could right. um, i think become unhealthy um how how do you strike that balance though in terms of like i guess what i'm curious about and where this might be helpful across different uh, people is when you know you're transitioning into okay i'm going to be providing support for someone what do you do like physically? What do you do mentally? So it seems like connecting to that belief of believing in and seeing and perceiving the other person's resources is one thing. Is there anything else that you you do to help maybe connect to your own resources or connect to yourself? Yes. Um, I'll give an example uh, because it's, it's about how I feed my life in general, okay, mm-hmm. is... Yesterday, um, Friday night, there was a terrible uh, situation south of me in Southern California where a 19-year-old went into a synagogue Mm -hmm. and uh, killed one person and injured the rabbi and injured a bunch of people. And um, I was really devastated by this. So that I was reading about it Sunday morning, but then, um, then I went to uh, a service that was almost all singing, and it was about honoring uh, our connection to the earth. So that was the focus. But it was about, I would say, ninety minutes mostly of singing, mm-hmm. and that fed my soul. You know that. And I believe the the singing in harmony with other people, okay? And I believe that that 
we're working on internal harmony, but a lot it's a reciprocal circuit. So that when you feel that harmony with others mm. through singing or whatever kind of a spiritual connection, right, that feeds that internal place. So that that and that my soul was nurtured after the pain of the the morning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's not like what I do right before a session. It's about the way I live my life to try to, uh, because I work with people who have been tortured. And so I have to really, really feed my soul to help my stuff sell, my mm -hmm. self stay grounded when we're walking through the memories, mm. you know. Uh, and that's the way I do it. It's by being a part of a group that's nurturing to me. Mm -hmm. And when you and when you describe that that specific experience of singing, and the harmony of that, and I don't, I don't really know much about. I'm not musically inclined, but I think there's something about the attunement of that amongst a group of people, um, s synchronizing their voices uh, to connect in that way. It, it it makes me think of like mirror neurons and yes. attachment and the connection yes. when. You know, even what we're trying to establish in our conversation, and, and you and you and I have, a, I enjoy our connection, and mm -hmm. in the in the expression of thoughts and feelings as we're speaking, there's yes. a kind of harmony that we're trying to uh, work out. But yes. I think music musically, um, I think there's a kind of cadence and rhythm to uh, you know things that are musical uh, that that are similar to a conversation and um, I think when you have when you're feeding that I guess what I'm, I'm hearing you say is when you have that as a constant uh, thing to prioritize to prioritize mm -hmm. your own mm -hmm. uh, you know harmony with existence including your, your harmony with the tragedies and mm -hmm. malevolence that exists in the world right. that that's an important way of keeping up your energy yes it seems and Absolutely. keeping up your own spirit and your own soul Nurturing to do this it. Yes. kind of work. Yeah. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. Because if you know, if you look if you look at what's happening in the world, you could really, really get into a you know uh, hopeless place. Really mm -hmm. in a helpless place. And I don't want to be there because I really really do believe that there is a whiteness that is in everybody if it's it's nurtured. When you were talking earlier, one of the things that came to my mind, Tim, was the last training, the, the day of the, of the training with Virginia Satir. We'd been together for a month, and there were 90 of us. Mm -hmm. And she came into the room, and she passed out candles to all of us. Yeah. And then she had her candle, and she lit it. And she said, what I want you to be real clear about is that it's not your job to create the light in anyone. They have it. Mm -hmm. And it's not my job. My job is to light my candle. But I can also offer my candle to help you light yours. And then she turned to the person next to her, and then it went around the room. And it was so powerful, because that's what we're talking about, helping people turn on their own light and truly believing that it's in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And sometimes she would say, you know, um, I'm sitting here trying to connect with my light and I may see a dark cylinder between us, but I know you've got a light. Mm. And um, someone told me that Laura Dotson, who worked a lot with Virginia and taught with her, said that when she watched Virginia work, she felt as though Virginia was in awe of the of the creation she was interacting with. Yeah. And I think, you know, that 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 is such a sacred place, and it is so supportive in and of itself. You know. It's important to make a connection, as you're saying, in that light first in yourself before you can approach and support someone with seeing their own light. Because I think if you're if you're in this darkened state, it makes it very difficult for you to be able to see the um, the let's say the divinity or the worthiness yes. or to be able to look at someone with with the genuine look of awe yes that you you are a manifestation of life mm -hmm. and yeah i think that that recognition of that um sometimes what we need though in support is someone who knows us knows us at a very deep level mm -hmm. um, at the level of ourself that helps reorient us to ourselves yes. and i think you know just just physically that you know that idea the idea that you're expressing i think is as much a thing as like this table in front of me because it can have that kind of an impact because then it is it's expressed through the body it's expressed through the eyes and it's, and then it's something that's someone can receive mm -hmm. and feel um so um i'm wondering if we if you'd be open to playing a little game with me sure yeah i had mentioned uh in our email this exercise called do you mean and oh, yeah yeah had you heard of it or, or no what? Mm -mm. yeah so it's it's in this workbook this is um Oh, Johanna Swabs. Okay. Yeah. So the yeah. satire approach to communication. And so the exercise, um, I've, I've seen it at, I think, some workshop that I'd done and experienced it and also um, having read that book. And so it's a, it's a great exercise to use in, in, with families and with couples. Mm. So basically how, how it goes is um, one person says one sentence, right? Mm -hmm. One very... You know, it could be benign, like something about the weather or something about whatever relationship issue they're having. And the other person who's listening and in the role, let's say, of being the supportive one, uh, is tasked with um, saying a sentence that starts with, do you mean blank, whatever it is. And the person that's initiating the message either says yes or no. And that's it. They don't elaborate. And the the thinking behind this exercise um, is that it sort of disrupts. It's an exercise. It disrupts the automatic uh, stances of going into blaming or placating or I'm right and you're wrong. So mm -hmm. it sort of artificially pulls out pulls us away from our patterns of communication mm -hmm. um, okay. and where one person is deliberately trying to expand on the thoughts and feelings and meanings, the mm -hmm. deeper meanings behind it. So. Um, well, anyways, do you do you want to try and maybe sure. you give me a yeah. message, and then I will I'll try to get to the bottom of it. <laughs> oh, 
Okay. <laughs> um, just to make it up, or what? what just you know? whatever sent whatever message you want to give me right now um, about something that you know okay. doesn't have to be too personal. Just whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Um, just one one sentence. I had a, a, a conversation this morning in which the person uh, said to me that he thought that I wrote in a way that was um, clean and that that was elegant to him. That was clean and elegant to him. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... So I'm just going to state back to make sure that I've got mm -hmm. just the, the wording. I had a conversation with a person that said I wrote in a way that was clean and elegant to him. Mm -hmm. Okay. Does that sound just at, at the sensory yes. level? Does yes. it sound like the words that you use? Yes, yes. Roughly enough. Mm -hmm. Okay. So do you mean uh, that you um, felt happy about what you heard I so, felt, so just uh, so just yes. a yes or no oh just, just a, yes a yes or, or no yeah yes mm -hmm. so, yeah just mm -hmm. so you feel like it's not going to be perfect but just a yes or a no yes yes and okay so the other part of it is my objective is to get at least three yeses oh, okay? okay right so that's the other part that's the other rule of the game okay, okay. so the sentence again i had a conversation the person said that i wrote in a way that was clean and elegant to him um, do you mean that you felt really good about impressing him no okay um, do you mean that you felt um, do you mean that you learned something new about yourself yes Okay. And I'll try one more. Um, do you mean that you felt um, proud of your writing? Mm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So <laughs> let's just uh, let's debrief that a little bit. How okay. do, how do you right. feel as the one as as I'm trying to? To grasp at a meaning with yes, with one sentence without yeah, you being it, it's very validating. Yeah, because it's like that other person is really working hard to try to hear what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it also made me like mm, I'm not sure, yeah. but I was I yeah. was sorting it out for myself. Yeah. 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 But then, mm -hmm. so I mean, if if we that's an exercise that is mm -hmm. obviously not any kind of way that I would want anyone to speak. <laughs> But right. but when you feel that, when you f at least feel that, then there's this feeling, I think, of validation. But then also it kind of course corrects you. Yes. If I say something that's kind of yes, like lukewarm, yeah. then it gives you a little bit more mm, guidance of nudging you in a direction that might be mm -hmm. warmer or even hot. Mm -hmm. um, and then if I give you a clear no, then I know I'm way off base with mm -hmm. whatever kind of understanding I'm starting to develop. So mm -hmm. it's that kind of like hot, hot and cold, uh, yeah. cold and hot kind of idea. You know, the game the kids yeah, play. Yeah, 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 yeah. Trying to find something <laughs> in the, in the, in the, that's hidden. Yeah. Um, but that's I think that's the essence of where why communication is so difficult because people think that the words that they're using 
um, as, as if it was a if it was a perfect map, but it's not. Uh, we use words and the words signify things and have different meanings across different contexts mm-hmm. and for different people with different backgrounds. So anyways, that's a that's I think a fun exercise that comes from the Virginia's work and comes from the yeah. therapy model. Yeah. But yeah. I think um, just by way of at least people being able to play with that and experiment with, um, you know, being the one that's really trying to listen and support. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And there's another exercise that the first exercise I ever experienced with Virginia, which relates this to this in a way, because it all has to do with perception, which is the interpretation, right? The meaning you give to something. Yeah. Yeah. And she called it um, the camera exercise. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, have you ever done the camera exercise? I think so, but could you explain it? Yeah. yeah. And that's where you're sitting across from somebody that you usually you don't know at all. Um, and she would say, I'm going to ask you to imagine that you're a camera and you're going to close your eyelids. And then I'm going to ask you to open your eyelids like a lens and look at the person and see what stands out to you physically. Mm. Then close your eyes and notice what you're thinking and feeling. Just be with that. Is that okay? Is that not okay? And then open your eyes again. Yeah. Are there any stereotypes that you have about what you have seen? Okay. Close your eyes. What are you thinking and feeling? Any thoughts about what you're thinking and feeling? Judgments. And open your eyes again. And notice if there's anything about this person that reminds you of someone else. Close your eyes. Again. Think about it. How does it feel? What what comes up for you with those reminders, positive or negative? And then one more time. Is there any third, what she called third party information? Mm-hmm. That you are, um, like somebody has told you something about this person. Yeah, you know? yeah. Basically, then, gossip. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you're, or, or or if it's a group where you've actually had an experience with somebody, right. positive yeah. or negative. Yeah. Go inside, and then share with your partner whatever you're willing to share about that experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was her way of beginning to help people understand that what they took in was also connected to their own database, I call it, yeah. of their history, you know, of memories, yeah. memories of stereotypes, of uh, reminders of somebody else, yeah. and all that stuff that gets in the way. Yeah. She used to say, you know, a baby's born, everybody comes to celebrate the new baby, and somebody says, oh, he's got ears just like Uncle George. Yeah. And then... Everybody knows that Uncle George is stubborn. So the first time this toddler, and all toddlers are going to do this, says no, somebody says, ah, just like Uncle George. Right, and, and the narrative begin to, begins. Yeah. The narrative begins. And mm-hmm. that, that all that stuff is in there, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I when I've seen that exercise or learned about it, it was called... Um, with whom am I having the pleasure? Oh yes, with whom am I having the pleasure? Yeah, yeah. I, I call and it the camera. I'm sorry. The camera. Yeah, no, because you're you're taking these different pictures. Yeah. 
And what, what you're doing is giving yourself the space to experience your projections, your automatic yes. interpretations, yes. and then, um, and then daring to share that yes. with someone. Yes. And, um, I think that's the intimacy of at least uh, a genuine conversation and a connection where you can say, listen, you know, like when you said that thing, here's how I took it. And this is what I heard. Yeah. I might be way off base, but I want to share it with you because it's connected to my, my thought about it and my feeling about it. And, yes. um, it's bothering me, you know, uh, I'd like to add something about that, Tim. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the closer the relationship, the longer the relationship, the more database is behind everything that's said and every yes. tone that's given. Yes, it's loaded. Yeah. It's yeah. loaded. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm wondering if where, in terms of where we could go with this, um, how maybe we could talk about the distinction between the role of a therapist and the support they give versus uh, in a kind of lay connection, whether it be within families, between spouses or um, parent and child, what distinctions would you make between the kind of support that you would receive or you offer um, people you work with versus what happens in more personal relationships? Well, you know, when I am working with somebody, my entire focus is on helping them access the resources and get the weeds out of the way. Yeah. When I am with a friend um, who's needing support, uh, I might drive them to the doctor or mm -hmm. might, we might chat about what's going on in their life, but I would call it chatting and it's like, I'm here for you. Okay. Uh, I want to be a support, but I am not, uh, it, we're, we're talking back and forth and not me not being in a personal, I mean, I want to say personal, purposeful focus. I'm not focused that way. I, uh, you know, somebody once said to me, do you diagnose your friends? I said, never. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said, that's too much work. Are you kidding me? You know, yeah. friends, friends are, friends are, it's reciprocal. It's light. Um, therapy is sacred. Friendships are sacred, but they're very different mm -hmm. in my mind. I don't mm -hmm. know. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I think it's important to be clear about the role difference. Like there's, mm -hmm. and, and the word support being so broad, you, there's support in both, but it, it has to be distinct. And the role, the role of the therapist is the self the self of the therapist is is shared in service of whatever goal that the client, yeah. the person yes. that's coming to work with you, it's it's meant to be in that way. They're they're not there to serve any kind of need or any kind of. Um, they're they're there primarily for themselves. They're there yes. to receive something and to engage in a process where the therapist is able to hold their own stuff to the side for that mm -hmm. time, that hour. Um, to be able to, to receive and to engage in that process of uh, gaining awareness or feeling a, a therapeutic connection mm -hmm. and uh, exploring things uh, of the past and how they're manifesting in the present. Um, whereas in a, in a personal relationship, I think um, you can explore things in that way, but the, the, the obligation is more mutual. 
It's mm-hmm. like I'm curious about learning about you, and you're, you might be curious uh-huh. about learning about me, and we're sharing in an intimate way, right. and that helps us grow. I think we, there's there's elements of therapeutic conversations like asking about feelings or asking about beliefs, and as, yeah. when you're going deeper and deeper, that allows for a deeper connection and deeper intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. But in a intimate relationship, it's no one gets stuck in a role of being the caregiver to the other, because yeah. then then that's that's where things start to get right. unhealthy right. and toxic potentially. Um, a so that that clarity of role is really important. But but something like like the the exercise that we just did, I think uh-huh. is is helpful just in helping people understand about communication and understanding uh-huh. about listening and support. Um, so could could we bring some of those skills? The the skills may look the same in some instances. But I think it's the intention and the, the clarity of boundaries and roles that really make one of the major distinctions uh, in my, my way of thinking about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. I think you are so gifted at being able to articulate this. You know, I, I feel like I just kind of talk and then you put it into these beautiful <laughs> conceptual... <laughs> You gift wrap it, Tim. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. It's kind of like volleyball. Like you throw the ball up, and I try to hit it again to keep it going. Um, yeah, you really but, do. I really appreciate it because it's you. You clarify in beautiful ways. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's not so clear for me because it, and and I think this is where I need to be, like realistic, because there's that overlap and because um, of skill not of role it's a constant exercise i think in updating those roles updating those beliefs to make sure that they're they're the cleanest or um they're the healthiest that relate so for example um i hope my wife won't be bothered with me sharing this but there is this horrible situation with the the subway system where people were just jammed and it was it was quite dangerous actually because people were approaching the the yellow line where you'd fall into the tracks and she just about had a panic attack she called me and she was just she was breathing heavily and uh i went into the role of uh, and utilized a lot of the skills that i have as a therapist because i said okay just breathe and i said you know it's over whatever you're experiencing right so like when people are experiencing a trauma they need a definitive it's over whatever what's going on is now done and they need that you know and peter levine writes about this in terms of uh, his trauma where where when the ambulance driver lets them know that the trauma is over it helps them end the episode so it doesn't get integrated into their bodies and stuck there so and then i I asked her to ground herself in her breath and to ground herself by looking at her environment and feeling her feet on the ground so that's a specific instance of okay i'm stepping into this role of providing a very specific kind of support for her Mm -hmm. um, but i'm not going to stay stuck there like i and i have to receive my energy back and allow the relationship to become mutual again because yeah, yeah. I, don't want, I don't want that to be a permanent fixture of how we interact but obviously in an emergency kind of situation of like that I'm going to use that skill so anyways sure. it's it, the, the lines they're not so clear because I think some situations mm-hmm. they, they they just call for some good judgment I think yeah. the difference so. is I think consciousness that you're very conscious that you were doing that uh, to be intervene in an emergency to help your wife mm-hmm. you, know, you could do the same with a friend or whatever right you know, yeah. i've done that for sure yeah but 
that's not ongoing therapeutic yeah. relationship. Yeah. 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 I mean, therapists use a lot of words. I'm just looking at some of the questions that, that I had. Words like acceptance, respect, love, compassion, non-judgment. Um, what what do these words mean to you? And, and in terms of providing support for someone, um, how do some of these themes or energies come into play? I think accepting my own um, humanness is where it starts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, practicing compassion for myself when I screw up, which I've done several times already this morning. <laughs> um, and just being real clear in that humanness that yeah. I, when I'm working with somebody, I'm creating a container of love and acceptance for them mm -hmm. to accept themselves mm -hmm. and compassion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, I think it's acceptance and compassion and, and a reminder that we're all having a shared human experience. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, one, one thought I had about, um, you know, we've talked a lot about the iceberg is that you know, Virginia had that famous line where she says, the problem isn't the problem. The problem is the coping with the mm -hmm. problem. Yeah. And I was thinking a lot about that. And when when I think about the iceberg and how I'm conceptualizing it, it's it's a pattern of perception, expectation, feeling, rules, behavior, a whole construct, a pattern mm -hmm. of coping mm -hmm. and of, of the experience, let's say, the mm -hmm. impact that you're living with. But I also think that because that solid form becomes the experience and we fall into it again and again, another way of thinking about it is when we have a negative experience and we're experiencing things like sadness and hurt and anger, when that gets stuck in our consciousness and becomes so big and expands, that can become the energy by which we try to cope. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to cope through this by, by getting aggressively angry. Mm -hmm. And so the the energy i think the thing that you were talking about in terms of coming to this compassionate accepting expansing expansive or loving kind of energy is a transition away from the reactive experience to then yes. transcending it and enter entering into something else um but i think that's that's where something like mindfulness practice is so powerful mm -hmm. because you're creating mm -hmm. that space between the event, the stimulus and the response yes. enough that you're, you're starting to inject and to nurture that space yes. with something else. So that those um, tight and painful emotions can uh, evolve. They can, mm -hmm. they can be integrated. They can be yes. let go of. Yes. Um, so anyways, I, I, I think about like, because I'm trying to conceptualize or, or to be able to talk about more clearly first, like acceptance, compassion, non-judgment, like what is, what's a way of thinking about that, maybe even metaphorically. And um, yeah, uh, it's, it's still a puzzle for me, but at least the, the idea that, yeah, like what you're getting stuck in is, well, if I'm in the anger or if I'm in the depression, say, then that becomes the way that I'm going to behave because I'm trying to cope with it but the best of what I can come up with is uh, exists in that dark cylinder that Virginia mm -hmm. talked about mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. um, I don't know if this relates directly but you know how you have 
kind of expanded my understanding by saying when Virginia said I am you could also say I am love mm-hmm. and I, I was telling you just uh, earlier about going to this service where we did a lot of singing around honoring the earth and the person who was leading it said I am the earth mm-hmm. and I went wow and again, is that identity? This is what you're talking about. Is that identity taking myself out of the identity of being the depressed one or the angry one, but you know, being able to expand so that you can look at the parts that carry, yeah, the 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 pain, but not be identified by it. Some people right. call it self distance distancing other people Virginia would call it externalizing that's why she yeah. did all the sculpting yes. you know yeah. if you write you're you're doing the same thing uh, if you just imagine that the part is separate from you any way that you can with acceptance look at this part and go what is going on how can I understand this how that mm. it's out of balance some way this part I'm not liking or this part that's yeah. getting me into trouble. How is it out of balance? How did that come to be so that they, it can be integrated in, that yeah. there is a positive place? There's a kernel of energy within our dislike parts that we really need for our wholeness, but it can yeah. be like, you know, stubbornness can be what people see, but inside of that, there can be a precious kernel of determination. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, really helping people to honor that yeah 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 i think of like the tree metaphor that i use a lot sometimes the fruit that comes of the tree is maybe like an experience like um anger or hurt um but that form is not is not a comment on the rest of existence it's not it's a moment in time and that sometimes those parts need to be reintegrated with the rest of uh, our body or mm-hmm. kind of re- reintegrated with life. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can think about that like fertilizer, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what, what did Virginia like to say, you know, um, turning shit into gold, like right. t- turning really ho- horrible, painful experiences into something that's going to allow us to grow. Yes. And uh, I think that's that's the hopeful message. And I watched this um, this uh, biopic movie called Blaze, and uh, it's about a blues singer um, who, who dies prematurely. And there's a scene where he's speaking to his wife, and they're, they're, uh, she's talking about uh, she wants to be an actor, and she's struggling with feeling confident. She's like, I, I wish I just had more confidence. And he said, well, what is, what is confidence? It's like, is it thinking that you're better than everyone else, or what is that? And he said, well... Can I tell you, I think it's being in touch with the fact that you got a heart that's beating and you got lungs that are filling up with air. And <laughs> the, the earthiness of his response is that it kind of reminds me of what you were saying, which is we, we have that life inside of us, that I am is life, that I am is love. Say the or the deepest yearnings that we have, the potentials that we want to actualize, and when we can be in touch with that level, we're at a deeper level of our roots, and not just in terms of a reactive pattern or a momentary right. feeling. And uh, anyways, I don't know how well we did with clarifying kind of therapist support, but I think we're we're, we're touching upon a process that's universal. Yeah. 
and uh, I think it's useful to to make that kind of picture or that mm-hmm. kind of process mm-hmm. um, um, something to discuss just right. just in general because yeah. it's not linear, you know. It's yeah. it's not a, it's it's the whole like you just said picture. It's all the different ways that you are giving support and seeking support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're all, we're all interconnected. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all networked together. So, um, so why don't we end there? Um, I think that seems like a, a natural place. Then what do you think? Right, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. And-